Thank you, Don and Laura. That's exactly how we ought to look at what God's done in our life and never get over that. Matthew chapter 28. Let's go ahead and stand if you have that. And let's look at the reading of the Word of God. In Matthew 28, beginning in verse number 16, Then the eleven disciples went away into Galilee, into a mountain where Jesus had appointed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. And let's all say the last word together. Amen. I want us to look tonight simply at the Great Commission as we embrace our mission with God's vision being our focal point. Let's look at tonight this truth and what's going to prepare our, our table and its framework for us for this year of 2024. If God continues to allow us to be here, I trust that we will be able to stand before the Lord and say, by faith, we got on point and we made our mission God's vision so that he could say, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Thank you. Please be seated. In 1960, the world global population was around 3 billion people. Planet Earth is now under the weight of 8 billion people. Every time the earth finishes its orbit around the sun, 140 million people are added to this planet. That's more than four births every second of every day. And the world's population is projected to grow and reach nearly 10 billion people by 2050. It's hard for us to visualize anymore the word billion. If we hear reports of people making and spending and losing billions, we just kind of miss the significance of it. For example, Bill Gates in 2020 was making an astounding estimate of $315 million per day. Approximately $3,644 in one second. And that's kind of what... Brother John, you made in, when you were working, and I know that doesn't do much for you there. But most of us, we've not seen that. It, those numbers, those are hard to even add those together. Jeff Bezos makes around $205 million a day. But if we remove the figure from the realm of money, maybe place it in the realm of time, maybe it takes on a little bit more realistic effect. For example... One billion days ago, the earth has not even been created. That's the number billion. One billion hours ago, the book of Genesis had not yet been written. One billion minutes ago, Christ was still walking on this planet. One billion seconds ago, the atomic bomb had not been dropped. As difficult as it is for us to visualize a billion, the fact remains that there are 8 billion people on the earth today. And sadly, out of these 8 billion people, 6.5 to 7 billion are still unsaved, if not a higher number. They're without Christ. Even sadder is that of this number, there are still 4.5 billion who have never even heard one time the message of the cross. Every minute, 70 people die and are ushered into eternity. That is 4,200 people every hour, 180,000 people every day, and approximately 40 million a year. And out of these 40 million souls, only 800,000 would even be said to be saved. And 39.2 million then die without hope. They go to a Christless eternity. 
Jesus had these unsaved multitudes in mind when he spoke the words in Matthew 28, verse 18 through 20. When he said to his disciples, while some, it says in verse 17, doubted, he said, all power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. And that word power is not the power that refers to the omnipotent dynamite power of God. That word power is authority. Jesus said, all authority power is given unto me in heaven and earth. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. And speaking these words, as I mentioned a moment ago to, to introduce the thing Jesus was giving to his disciples and to his church, its mission. Jesus was telling his disciples and his church his vision. And he intended that we take his vision and make it our mission. He was revealing to the church and its people the very reason for its existence. If we understand the book of Matthew, but you fail to understand this closing passage, then you've missed the entire point of the book. This passage, known as the Great Commission, is the climax and the major focal point of the entire New Testament. And in a broader sense, it's the climax and the focal point of the entire Bible. It's never been God's desire, and it's never been okay with God that anyone die, anyone perish, and go to a Christless eternity. God desires that every man be saved. When Adam and Eve sinned in the garden... God, seeing their sin, came and sought them. It was God who sought Adam and Eve. It was not Adam and Eve who sought God. It was God that came into the garden crying, Adam, where are you? God saved them. God restored them. And when man began to separate himself further from God, as I mentioned a moment ago, God raised up a nation called Israel to be a witness to a lost world. And when Israel failed to accept and embrace the long-awaited Messiah, Jesus Christ, who came to them, John chapter 1 tells us, He came unto His own, and His own received Him not. Jesus then called, or God rather, called out a church as His chosen instrument to reach a lost and dying world. Reaching a lost world has always been the primary function and mission of the church. And doubtlessly, the central message of Scripture is Jesus came to seek and to save the lost. That's the mission of the church. Do you remember Jesus' words in John 20 and verse 21 when Jesus said, As my Father hath sent me, so send I you. Even so send I you. In other words, he said, As the Father sent me into the world to win the world, so I send you into the world to win the world. See, this message is our mission. If we were to take a survey in the average church and ask, what is the mission of the church? We would get likely a variety of answers, not just here, but, but in other churches. There are many different reasons for their existence and their thinking. Some would say, well, the primary function of the church is fellowship. Others would say Bible study is the primary mission. Some would claim that praise and worship are the supreme functions of the church. But if these things, think about it, if these three things were the church's primary function or something else similar, do you know that Christ, I believe, would have taken us to heaven the moment we were saved? Because we can do each of these, fellowship, Bible study, praise and worship, better in heaven than here upon earth. See, in heaven, we would have no distractions. In heaven, we would have no, uh, we would not be hindered by sin. We would have full knowledge. So the only reason that the Lord allows us to remain here on earth is to continue his work to seek and to save the, all, the lost. You see, the only thing we can do on earth that we will never be able to do in heaven is to win souls. To win souls. See, I believe even many times preachers have got it wrong in presenting the message of the rapture. They'll present this thought that 
Jesus can come back anytime. This place is so bad. It's about time that he come and it won't be long before we're taken up. We're gonna get to 2 Peter. And 2 Peter lays out for us, I believe very clearly, what's going on in this world and what's gonna end up, or what this world is gonna end up in. It's gonna end up in a ball of fire. And God tells us through Peter in 2 Peter, he's not willing that any should perish, but that all come to repentance. And he talks about his return, but he doesn't give us the idea as God's people, we're to hold on because one of these days God's gonna take us out of this mess. No, he's giving us the idea as Jesus was giving the disciples the same idea that you're here in this mess to introduce people to the divine cleaner upper of people's lives who died to save their soul and wash their sins away and to move into their life, making them a brand new creation. It's not our job to hold on till he comes. It's our job to get out until he comes and to tell people that there is one who loves them, one who died for them, and they're a heartbeat away from hell and they're a decision away from finding and discovering the reason that they were created to meet their creator and savior, Jesus Christ. You see, if the church is not seeking to win the lost, I ask again, what divine reason do we have to exist? If each of us individually is not seeking to win the lost, what divine reason do we have to exist? Why not just... Go on to heaven, be free from the sin-cursed, sin-tainted world. Again, fellowship, Bible study, worship, they're important functions of the church, but only because they are the instrument God uses in our assembly to prepare us, to equip us, to help us fulfill His mission of winning the lost to Christ. So would you follow me tonight as we look at three things about this great commission, number one, would you see the mandate of the mission in verse 19 and 20? The mandate. See, soul winning is not a spiritual gift. It's not an option. It's a mandate from God to every believer. Now, you can look around the church body. And you can look around the church family and you'll say, boy, those people, there's some real passionate soul winners. I wish I could be like them. Well, be like them. Because God's given you the same mandate that they've been given. It's a mandate. It's something that God demands that we do. You can get on a bus and see the signs that say no eating, no smoking, no drinking. And you may say to yourself, says who? On whose authority? The preacher may preach and the Christian may ask, says who or whose authority? But when it comes to soul winning, the answer is clear. This command, this mandate is upon God's authority. Christ said he has all power, all authority in heaven and earth. And now he says, go. We must work at making disciples simply because God demands it. It's a matter of obedience. The mandate, verse 19, go ye therefore teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. Let me stop there. Notice he's talking to a group of disciples, his church. Jesus says, you go and teach the people around you. You go and teach those that you come into contact with. But that's not what he says. He tells these few people less than what are in here tonight. And he says, you're responsible for all the nations around the globe. You're responsible for all the nations around the globe. And you're to baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. And you're to teach all the nations around the globe to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. See, it's a mandate, the mandate of the mission. I want you to see this about the mandate. It's an active mandate. Go therefore and make disciples is what he's saying. Make disciples is the command. The command is not lead people to Jesus. That's a given. Jesus is saying make disciples. The little word go tells us how to do it. To win souls, we must simply go. 
after them. It's not enough to simply pray for souls to be saved. While we should pray, prayer alone is not enough. It's not enough to live a good and godly life before others, hoping that a good testimony will point men and women to Christ. To win souls, we must go after them. Several years ago, a man was saved during an evangelistic campaign in the Pacific Northwest. When he told his boss about it, his employer was thrilled and said, that's great, I'm a Christian, and I've been praying for you for years. The new believer was shocked and said, why did you not tell me you were a Christian? You were why I've not been interested in the gospel all these years. The boss was perplexed and wondered, how can that be? I've done my best to live the Christian life around you. The new convert man replied, that's the whole point. You had lived such a model life without telling me that it was Christ who made the difference. That I convinced myself that if you could live such a good life without Christ, then maybe I could as well. You see, this Christian boss has made the mistake of not looking at the mandate as an act of mandate to go. Jesus said, go out into the highways and hedges and compel them to come in. Luke 14, 21 through 23. Paul says in Romans 10, verse 14 and 15, how then shall they call on him in whom they've not believed? How shall they believe in whom they've not heard? How shall they hear without a preacher? How shall they preach except they be sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of them that preach the gospel of peace and bring glad tidings of good things. Remember, it was Jesus who went after Andrew and won him. It was Andrew who went after Philip and won him. And it was Philip who went after the Ethiopian eunuch and won him. If we're going to fulfill this mission this year, we must go after souls. It's not just attending OPSAT. It's daily experiencing God so that we could go on mission with Christ's vision. I want you to see another thought about this mandate, and that is it's an all-encompassing mandate. Again, he says we're to make disciples of all nations. Your responsibility does not end at your doorstep. It includes all men and all nations. Do you realize today that some 11,000 people worldwide have never even heard the gospel even once. 11,000 people groups. 11,000 people groups have never even heard the gospel. There are 8,500 languages into which the word of God has not been translated. One of the reasons that there are still places in this world that don't have a church anywhere in its country is because they don't have a Bible in their language meaning that there are people who will die and go to hell. And they've never even heard the name Jesus. Remember going to Mongolia back in 2019 with Charles Keene and actually coming across people with him who've never heard the name Jesus. They're all around us. They're all around the world. And there is what is known as the 1040 window. The 1040 window is the least evangelized area of the world. 97% of the people in this area are unsaved. It's the most populated, it's the most needy, but it's the least reached area on earth. There is one Christian for every 2,250 people in this 1040 window. In Bali, Indonesia, there are four 0.36 million people with less than 1% being Christians. The whole Bible was translated in Balinese for the first time in 1990. The Sudanese from West Java, Indonesia is the world's largest unreached people group. They number 34 million people, nearly all of them Islamic. In the 16th century, the Muslim leader Ahmed said, I believe we can win the Sudanese. So he sent Muslim missionaries and successfully converted the people. 
See, if the world in which we live is going to be reached, we who have the truth must take it to those who do not. It must be taken across the street and across the seas. When we in obedience do it, we will find people ready and waiting to be saved. Why? Because God's doing the work in people's hearts. All it takes is one person burdened to take the gospel. All it takes is one person burdened to reach one person. Robert Morrison became burdened for the Chinese. And in 1807, he became the first Christian missionary to China since the Nestorians 900 years earlier. When Mr. Morrison stepped foot on the shores of China, there were very few, if any, Christians in that land. Less than 200 years later, reports say that between 60 and 80 million Christians now live in China, and 25% of them were saved in just the last few years. It was Adoniram Judson who in 1813 became burdened for the mysterious and unreached land of Burma. He won to Christ a Karen man, a member of the indigenous people of eastern Burma who worked for him in his home in Burma. This Karen man, now a Christian, became burdened for his own people. Mr. Judson sent him with George and Sarah Broadman back to his people. And from the moment they stepped foot into the village, they won souls. Thousands and thousands were saved. The Karen people soon became burdened for the Nkachin people and took them the gospel as well. And in the span of 90 years, 250,000 Nkachin men were saved. Why? Because one man got burdened. He understood the all-encompassing demand of this mandate. William Carey became burdened for India and he sowed the first gospel seeds in India. And by Mr. Carey's death, over 200,000 copies of the Bible had been sent out in over 20 languages. A group called the Black Thai lives on the Black River in Vietnam. Vietnam right now is under severe persecution of its Christians. But several years ago, one black Thai received Christ while in prison. Once released, he began sharing the good news with his neighbors. Before long, more than 750 black Thai people came to Christ. Since then, the church has been growing quickly. Entire villages have been converted. Thousands have come to know Christ and Bibles in the black Thai language have been distributed. Why? Because one man got burdened for others. He understood the demand of God's mandate. Listen, it's an active mandate. It's an all-encompassing mandate. We who know the truth must take this truth to others if this mission of the church is going to be fulfilled. But I want you to see this. It's an absolute mandate. It is an absolute mandate. He says, baptizing them and teaching them. See, soul winning is not complete until the convert is inspired to obedience. Discipleship is not just a fire escape from hell and a ladder to heaven. It involves inspiring that one who got saved to obedience in verse number 20, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. You see, the first step of obedience of a new convert can, that, that a new convert can take is that of baptism, which is a public statement of testimony of one's faith in Christ. And certainly the, 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 the act of baptism is a picture of one's salvation. But baptism is also submission to this authority that Christ said he has. All authority in heaven and earth. And baptism is aligning oneself under the authority of Christ. And Jesus Christ himself got baptized. But Jesus did not get saved. He was the Savior. He got baptized to show submission to the truth that John the Baptist was teaching. And Jesus, who says, I have all authority in heaven and earth, he delegated authority to the church. And baptism is not what a Christian does just to say I've gotten saved. It's what a Christian who has gotten saved does to show that I am assembling with the, the, the uh, assembly of God's people called the church under the authority of Jesus Christ. 
Some will get inspired. I want to go. I want to tell people. I want to go start a church. I want to get to the mission field. I want to go do ministry. I've got to reach the lost. Well, your first responsibility is to submit to the authority of the church. It's the church that is the equipping mechanism. It is the church that God has chosen to equip us to reach the lost. It's not divine authority given to a man. Jesus does not delegate his authority to preachers. He delegates it to the church. That's why within church, there is what is known as an ordination. I don't know that we've had an ordination service since I've been here, but an ordination service, I know Canaan Baptist has had them, it's where the church recognizes and the church is sending forth and putting its stamp of approval and hand upon someone that they recognize to have God's hand upon them for this ministry of the gospel. Paul warned Timothy of the danger of putting hands upon a novice. Not because they don't know enough in their cranium, but because they've not matured, they're not equipped enough. They've not submitted to the equipping process. And the reason for that, Paul tells Timothy, is they stand in great danger of being a special target of Satan's attack. In other words, if they're immature in their following, if they're immature in their submission, they are going to be ripe for destruction from Satan. And that is why the matter of the church is not what you go around to do your ministry. It is the place that God has delegated his authority in which ministry is to take place. Listen, this is a side note, but I want you to know I, I, I have a burden. It is my burden. It's been my burden from the time I met with the deacons back in uh, earlier 2014 when, before even deciding to come to Canaan. I want to see you fulfill your greatest potential. I want to see you experience God, and I don't think anyone graduates to that point. I think it is a daily process of saying, all to Jesus I surrender, and the next day, doing it all over again. It's living as Dr. Childs has taught and preached and lived, and, and it's all open hands to Jesus. It is living by faith, trusting and obeying. And the, the way in which you're going to experience God deeper and greater and going further with Him is by allowing yourself to be discipled and equipped. I am available for anyone who wants to go further with God. I'm available for anybody who wants to know Jesus better. I'm available for anybody who wants to know and do the will of God. It, it, I've said before, everybody is either pastored or you're pastored around. And, and it's not good for you to be pastored around. But some, you're going to go to your grave just being a lone ranger and picking and choosing which parts of God's will you're going to do. But you're going to shortcut and you're going to short circuit and you're going to come up on the short end of the very reason God has put you here upon this earth. You can go to all the revival meetings. You can go to all the, the self-help conferences. You can see all the Christian counselors you can ever find. But you're never going to experience the, the fulfillment of why God put you here until you stay a pliable student of a disciple. What a disciple is. What a disciple is to do and then go forth with the mandate of the mission. We're to teach them to take that step of baptism and submit to God's authority called the local church. And then we're to teach the new converts. One reason so many new converts fall away is that they never get connected to the ministry of the church. They, they, they pray the prayer, they get assurance that they're saved, but they never turn around and actually become disciples and they never reproduce themselves because they never got a part of the disciple station called the church. We do not provide proper follow-up sometimes. We don't provide proper discipleship. Those are all things that are a burden to me. I feel like we've, we can do more. We can do better. But that is what God wants us to do. Second, let's move on. I want you to see the means to the mission. The means to the mission. Notice in verse number eight. All power, 
All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. As I've mentioned, there are two different Greek words for power, and that's how we know which one this one is. It's, uh, it's the word for authority. Here Jesus is talking about authority. In fact, many times when he talks about baptism, he's talking about authority. And baptism is not just something found in a Baptist church or in Christianity or in evangelicalism. There have been other groups and, and even in the, the B.C. era that would baptize as a form of showing submission to that group. It, it, is, it was just a sign, much like putting on a ring. It, it signifies being a part of something, a class ring, a wedding ring. And so baptism has been that sign and symbol. But Jesus says here, all power. If, if the mission is accomplished, we must depend upon the Lord's authority. His power, His authority have been de delegated to the church it's been delegated to us in three ways. One, he gave us the Spirit of God. In Acts 1 and verse 8, he says, But ye shall receive power. And there it is the word that, that refers to the power of God. After that, the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses unto me. Why did the Lord give us his power? Why did the Lord give to his church his power in Acts chapter 1? He gave it to them to enable and to empower his witness. If I were to ask evangelicals, which is a broad term, we're not evangelicals in that sense. We're Canaan Baptist Church. We're Baptists. We're Biblicists. We're Christians who believe the Bible. That's what makes us Baptists. Someone said, what if you were not a Baptist, what would you be? I'd be ashamed. That's what I'd be because we, we believe the Bible. The Bible is our authority. It, it's, it, it's, it's the authority. That's all that Baptist means. But if I were to ask many who claim to be saved, what was Pentecost about? They'd mention speaking in tongues, cloven tongues of fire, sound of a rushing mighty wind. Well, let me ask you, did those things happen on the day of Pentecost? Yes, they did. Yeah, speaking in tongues, clothing tongues of fire, sound of a rushing mighty wind. But was that the essence of Pentecost? No. In fact, Acts chapter 2 tells us in the first four verses what the essence of Pentecost was. The Christians, not, not, not the unsaved, God's people, the disciples, they were filled with the power of the Holy Spirit so that they all spake. What were they speaking about? How to be saved. Jesus Christ. Peter stood up and preached 5,000 got saved. And the tongues that they spoke, by the way, were not some jibber-jabbers. The tongues that they spoke was a known tongue that people in their language could hear. So that means that there were people who were there who could not understand the, the, the Hebrew language that Peter may have been speaking. And, and there were those that were given by God this sign gift, and they were able to speak a, a tongue. They were able to speak Spanish if they were here today. They'd be able to speak French. They'd be able to speak um, uh, 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 a foreign language. And, and it was not something that was just words and, and, and moaning. and It was an actual tongue. Why? Because the purpose was so that people could be saved. And someone says, do we still, does God still do that? God can do whatever he wants to do. But when God completed the Bible, he, he gave all the, everything that a person needs in the Word of God. Upon the completion of the Word of God, there was no need for the sign gifts. And now we have the Holy Spirit of God working in us with the authority that changes people's lives. And all we've got to do is declare the truth. He gave us the Spirit of God. You know why we need His power? Because it's the Spirit that does what we cannot do. See, the, the, the book of Acts is, is all about the acts of the Holy Spirit through the church. The, the day of Pentecost was all about the work of the Holy Spirit through yielded disciples. You know why we need God's power? Because we, know, we need what only God can do. In John 16, verse 7, we're told that the Holy Spirit convicts men of sin, righteousness, and God's coming judgment. 
And Spurgeon, C.H. Spurgeon, read in the Bible one day and came across reading the book of Joel, chapter 3 and verse 3. And he came across the word girl, G-I-R-L. And he just thought to himself, I don't know if I've ever seen the word girl in the Bible. And so he did a study and found no other time is the word girl found in the Bible. Interesting, isn't it? Well, he left that day after reading his Bible and coming across that thought. He went down the street and he was thinking about a particular man that he had witnessed to on many occasions. And he thought, I'm going to talk to this gentleman. He needs to be saved. He knocked on the door and he said his name. He said, I've been burdened for you. We've talked before. Can I come in and talk to you about Jesus? The man said, Mr. Spurgeon, you've been at this for a long time. You know I'm not interested. But I will let you in and I will give you a chance to talk to me one more time about Jesus upon one condition. You answer my question. And Spurgeon said, okay. The man said, Mr. Spurgeon, how many times is the word girl found in the Bible? Spurgeon said, one time, can I come in and talk to you about Jesus? It's in Joel 3 and verse 3. The man was stunned. Spurgeon went in, sat down, told him about Jesus. The man got saved. Why? Because it was great Charles Spurgeon. No, Spurgeon was just sensitive to the leadership of the Holy Spirit. That's why we need the power of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit empowering our witness. The means to the mission is he gave us the Spirit of God. Number two, he gave us the Word of God. In Romans 1 and verse 16, Paul was referring to the Word of God when he says, The power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth. When you say, I can't merely witness to the lost and expect them to be saved. We must first disprove evolution before somebody can get saved. Or or when we say, it's not enough to declare the gospel, but first we must discredit false religions as well as prove the existence of God and truth of the Bible. You know what those two statements tell us? We don't really believe in the power of the gospel. Do you know all that a lost person needs, even if they're atheists? Even if they are Muslim, even if they believe wholeheartedly in evolution, do you know what they need? They need the power of the gospel. Just pull the trigger of the gospel gun and let it do its job. When Jonathan Goforth went to China, an old experienced missionary came to him with this advice. Listen, he said, Mr. Goforth, do not attempt to speak of Jesus the first time when you're preaching to the unsaved. The Chinese have a prejudice against the name of Jesus. You must first confine all your efforts to demolishing their false gods. If you're given a second opportunity, you may then bring in the name of Jesus. To which Mr. Goforth replied rather excitedly, Never, never, never. The gospel that saved the down and out in the slums of Toronto where I came from is the same gospel that can save these Chinese sinners. From the very first, all those speaking in broken Chinese, Jonathan Goforth preached Christ crucified, buried, and resurrected. And from the very first, he saw souls saved. Later in life, a young missionary upstart asked Mr. Goforth the secret of his soul-winning success. Mr. Goforth said, I just give God a chance to speak to souls through his own word. I'm going to give you another means, and that is he gave us prayer to God. He gave us the spirit of God, the word of God. He gave us prayer to God. Do you know what should motivate you men to get to a prayer meeting? Is that there are unsaved in your family going to hell. If they die tonight, they'd go straight to hell. You know what should motivate us to get to a prayer meeting and be serious about prayer meeting? It's because there are people all around us dying and going to hell. Prayer alone is not enough to save, but if we, in obedience to this mandate, are going after souls, it'll drive us to be praying, to be cooperating with God. See, prayer opens doors and softens hearts, preparing souls for the gospel. Paul said in Colossians 4, verse 3 and 4, pray also that God would open up unto us a door for utterance to speak the mystery of Christ for which I'm also in bonds that I might make it manifest as I ought to speak. 
Back to Jonathan Goforth in 1887 when Jonathan Goforth went to China as a missionary. He was appointed to a new field in the northern section of the province of Honan. Upon learning of Mr. Goforth's assignment, you might be familiar with the name J. Hudson Taylor of the China Inland Mission. He wrote to say that the northern Honan was the most anti-foreign province in all China. Mr. Taylor said they, that is the, the, the Taylor's China Inland Mission, tried for 10 years to start a work there, but they'd not been successful. No missionary had lasted. So he gave Mr. Goforth this advice. Hudson Taylor said, Jonathan, you must go forward on your knees. Amen. And that he did. Eventually, no, the northern Honan became one of the strongest Christian settlements in all of China. You see, God gave us his spirit. God gave us his word. And God gave us direct access to his throne. Our prayers move his hand, which move the hearts of even the hardest of men. I want you to see the last thing and we'll be done. Notice in verse 20, he says, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I've commanded you. Notice this statement. And lo, I am with you always even until the end of the world. Amen. I want you to see tonight a very valid motivation for the mission. What should motivate you to make your mission God's vision? Jesus saying, Lo, I'm with you always, even unto the end of the world. What a promise. Wherever you go, the Lord goes. You know, Brother Don, this tells me that there is no closed country in the world. There's no closed country. There's no place that God can't go. There's no place that God doesn't know. There's no place that's too hard for God. You never go alone. He's with you when you knock on that door. You talk to that unsaved person. Jesus goes with you. He always goes with you. He goes with you everywhere. Years ago, a missionary found himself in the hands of savage cannibals in Africa. Before the evening meal, by a miracle of God, he escaped and he fled into the jungle. Because it was dark, he was in unfamiliar territory, climbed up into a tall tree. And looking down, he could see his captors with lighted torches searching the, the jungle floor for their missing meal. The missionary said, quote, I never felt Jesus so near as I did that night in the top of that tree. And then he added, I'd go back into that perilous hour if only I could feel again the presence of God with me as I did that dark night. End of quote. Jesus said, Lo, I'm with you always. David Livingston, that great missionary who opened up the heart of the interior of Africa to spread the gospel, one day stood at the headwaters of the, uh, the river and, and when warned against proceeding further because of the terrible danger, he prayed and he opened his Bible to Matthew 28 and verse 20. Lo, I'm with you always, even unto the end of the world. Accepting God's promise, David Livingston continued on his way to discover Victoria Falls and the eastern outlet from the heart of the dark continent because he took the motivation of God's promise. G. Campbell Morgan was one day reading the scriptures to female shut-ins in a convalescent home and he read Matthew 28 and verse 20, Lo, I'm with you always, even unto the end of the world. And he commented, isn't that a wonderful promise? Then one dear woman said, Mr. Morgan, no, it's not. It's a reality. Jesus is with us always, even unto the end of the world. You see, Christ's presence is a reality. It's not just words in a promise. It is a reality that should motivate us to fulfill this great commission of the church boldly. If you long and you uh, look for the presence, the comforting presence of the Lord, but you fail to engage in his mission, 
You've missed the purpose of this motivating reality. Again, years ago, Hudson Taylor preached in a particular city. He led to Christ a Buddhist leader. Full of joy, this new convert asked Mr. Taylor, how long have you known this good news in your country? Mr. Taylor answered, we've had it a long time. How long, Mr. Taylor? Several hundred years. Hundreds of years, the ex-Buddhist leader asked, and you never came to tell us sooner? My father sought long and hard for the truth and died without finding it. Oh, Mr. Taylor, why did you not come sooner? People all around cry out for the truth, desiring to possess what we have. Now, they may not know what to call it, but they're looking for something to fill the hole in their soul. They're looking for peace. They're looking for satisfaction. The problem is they're looking for it in things and not the person, Jesus Christ. It's our mission to reach them. Today, 8 billion people, most of them without Christ, if they could form a single line, stand in line, one foot space between them, they would wrap around the equator 25 times. And that line is going straight to hell unless somebody tells them. Can you picture 25 lines of people marching endlessly to an eternal hell. We must declare what we have to those who need what we possess. Would you join me this year? Would you join me in this mission to embrace God's vision? Would you join me tonight even? And this invitation, I invite us to go ahead and stand. And, and if you would surrender to the Lord Jesus and by faith grab a hold of his vision and make it your mission, would you come tonight and maybe find a place at this altar or at your seat and just give this night, give yourself in this year to God and say, God, without you I can do nothing. I want to fulfill the purpose why you've put me here, and that is to point others to Jesus. I want to do here what I can never do in heaven, bring people to Jesus. Lord, would you help us? Help me. Lord, I find myself often busy doing things for you. But many times, too many times, missing the very essence and purpose of why we're here. Now, Lord, we don't want to go into a ditch. We, we never want to justify any wrong in our life for the sake of winning lost souls. We never want to say we're, we're winning people, we're going after lost souls, and yet we're missing and we're broken and we're bankrupt on the inside because we're cutting corners and we're resisting in other areas. So Lord, help us to, to keep and maintain clarity and to stay balanced and being people that are constantly, continually hungering and thirsting for you to experience you daily so that the outflow can be to find meaning and purpose in life, to bring people to Jesus. Lord, would you do it? We need you. This year, may we see miracles on a regular basis, miracles of souls being saved, lives being changed, transformed. Lord, may we see you working regularly. Or there may be persecution that will come. Every time we see persecution in the book of Acts, it came on the hills of a great move of God. And every time we saw persecution in the book of Acts, it caused the, the gospel to flourish. So Lord, we'll take, as Peter told us this morning, whatever you give us, but help us. 
Help us as a church family. Help me as I lead and others to, to take leadership that we would not easily forget why we're here and that it's our mission to take God's vision. You didn't die in vain. And our salvation is not in vain. We want to be able to bring more people to you. I pray, Lord, I'm praying as we've prayed many times that this county and surrounding counties would be different because of a little church here and a small group of people. And I'm thankful for every other church and every other child of God who will also embrace your vision and make it their mission. But I pray for us that we would be radical and trusting and obeying and looking for divine appointments and seeing miracle after miracle of souls saved, lives changed, because this is your mandate to us. Lord, I thank you for these. I thank you for those that are here who've decided tonight Many, their life has been consumed with this, but they want to go further. They want to see you do more. I pray that our great soul winners in Canaan Baptist Church will be even more effective and have more fruit and see more people saved more than ever. I pray for those who've never seen anybody saved, that they would see people saved, not just one, but be able to see multiple people saved. And I recognize that many of us may be watering and, 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 uh, and some uh, 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 planting, others watering, but you'll give the increase no matter what. We're just excited to be a part of the gospel game of Jesus Christ, and we're going to be about the mission no matter what, no matter where, because it is your mandate to us. So, Lord, revive us. Keep us in a place of revival and awakening. And we thank you for what you're going to do in our hearts and lives. We thank you for what you're going to do in our midst. I thank you for clarifying your purpose for us. I thank you for those who've gone before us, who have paved the way and who have established this, this focus of this church. Brother Caldwell's heart for, for over a decade. And this church's long history of seeing people saved. I pray God as we're going about not protecting the past, but protecting the future so that we'll be able to see more people saved. We thank you and we love you. And all of God's people said, Amen. Amen.